Um, I just want to start off by saying it is, it is such an honor to be a part of this house. And I, I'm just amazed by just the caliber of the believers in this house. Like, it was just so fun on Friday, worshiping in the park with you all. And just, just I was even talking with Vanessa and just seeing, oh my gosh, like the maturity that, that has taken place over the years. And certainly in this season, I believe it's been increased but the maturity of, of the faith of the, of the men and women of God in this house. And so I'm honored to be a part of that, to, to just be a part of this community. And, um, and I just want to give that context as, as I share today about prayer. Um, I want to talk about prayer in specific. And, and I, um, I really felt there's nothing else I could have preached on this morning. Like, I had all sorts of fun things I could have talked about. But I really, I know prayer, it's the DNA of this house. And it's the DNA of this moment. It is, it is critical right now um, in the earth um, that we continue to be a house of prayer. And I feel like God's doing new things even in that continuation. Um, and I'm going to get into that a bit. I, I want to start with, um, many of you know Jamal and Ogo. They spoke last week. They gave an amazing word. I went back and listened to it again. I was, I was really um, touched by it. And Jamal and I, we were actually at a house um, that him and Ogo purchased up in the Poconos. And so we were up there a few weeks ago. And we, we were meeting with this man who was this mold expert. So they were trying to see, all right, they bought this house. They feel like there may be mold in it. Let's, let's see if there is and then figure out how to treat it, right? So we go and we meet with this man. And, and we roll up, and he's got this huge mask on. I mean, it's one of those, like, you know, construction style. You've seen people around New York with them, and you're like, nothing's getting through that mask. <laughs> in 99 or whatever they are. It's like a, you know, it looks like a sci-fi movie sort of thing. And so we roll up. I'm like, yeah, this guy, all right, I'm going to really respect the, the COVID boundaries here. So, so we get there and we go in the house. And as soon as we get in the house, well, first of all, he tells us, like, I love to kill mold. Hate it. And, and he just goes on this whole, like, it's almost like his, like, you know, life statement is to destroy mold no matter what, at what cost. And I mean, he's very adamant about it. He says, do you know in the Bible there was even mold? And he starts referencing. I was like, well, he, qu- he out-quizzed me. He out-quizzed the preacher on the, you know, on the Bible references to mold. He said, mold's been plaguing the earth ever since, you know, the time of Jesus. And so anyway, he went on this whole thing. And so we get in the house. And, and this guy, he's a character. He was a, he was a great guy. He was a character. So we get in the house. And the first thing he does is he rips off that mask. And I'm like right beside him. And clearly he does not care about like me giving him COVID. He, he cares about the mold. He's got the mask on because of the mold. And so he rips it off and he starts, he just starts looking at Jamal and I and he's like, he's just sensing the room. And, and he's like, oh, it's here. It's here. I, I'm getting a headache. I'm getting a headache. I, I, I kid you not. This is exactly how it went down. And he, and he gets like down on the ground and he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's it. And so he's discerning right now, catch, he's discerning there is something off in this house, right? And his senses are telling him that he's getting a headache, he's feeling nauseous, like I don't know what all he was experiencing, but it happened fast. <laughs> something is off, it's bad, there's a, there's, a, there's a hidden thing here that's impacting your house, and I'm sensing it deep down in me. And so he says, you know, I got a lot of equipment in my vehicle, mold equipment, but I don't need it because I got senses. I'm equipped with senses, and I know because I hate mold. I know what it what it's what it what it does to me. I, I know what it feels like, and so 
I feel in this season, there's many of us who are very aware that something is very off, right? And we sense it. And, and I want to, there's two different types of people, right? Well, there's more than that, but and I'll use this analogy. Some of us are more feelers, right? We feel things. We don't need our equipment. We just take our mask off and we're like, oh, there's demonic oppression here. Like there's something wrong. Yeah, and we, and we feel it, and it freaks out the people that need the, you know, that use the equipment, because we're like, whoa, how do you know? Like, have you tested that? Like, is that in the Word? You know, and that's a good thing, right? But then you have the other people, they're like the ones with the equipment, right? They're very, like, they get in the Word, and they discern the times by what they read in the Word. And, and, and I want to say both are important, and actually both, they, they work together, right? It's one's a sense of the Spirit, and one's an understanding of the Word. And we know the Word and the Spirit, they're tied tight together. So I'm not trying to say they're on different ends. I'm just talking about different people. And, and part of the reason I bring that up is I think we need to learn how to stay connected with our brothers and sisters that process things differently than we do, okay? So just because... People are like sensing and, and have a prophetic sense of what's going on, and you don't quite understand it, but you have understanding of the word. We need to meet each other in that place. And just because you're sensing it spiritually and somebody else is bringing you a more analytical view of the word, don't shut that person off and just, ah, like my spiritual senses are much better than your biblical study. No, these things, they work together. And, and so we have to work together as the body. We have to stay unified. And prayer is one way that we unify in this hour. And we're going to be talking about more about prayer and even having some more strategic prayer things, including a fast coming up that we'll get into more. Um, but it's because it's so key in this hour of tension. So the topic um, or my title for today's message is prayer through tension. All right. So the mold man, he's sensing, he's sensing danger. He's sensing a threat, right? And the question is, how do you respond when you sense a threat? And, and I think many of us, we have different responses, and some are good and some are not so good, right? So for me, if I'm in a tenuous moment, if I sense a threat or I'm just anxious, right, I, my default is to put my head down and work hard, to do everything I can to, to end whatever tension I'm feeling, to solve whatever dangerous situation I'm sensing, right? And so that's my default. Other people's defaults are to run, are to hide are to escape when there's a sense of danger, right? And, and sometimes I'll do that too, let's be honest. Like it depends on the situation, right? Um, we also have a default in times of tension to accuse and to blame, right? So like, whoa, like this happened to me and oh, my wife, you know, I mean, for me, it's like, it's real easy to blame those close to you, right? So I know why this happened. She didn't do this or she didn't do that. And you, you fill in the blank, right? We have a tension to blame people, blame, I mean, you name it, blame political parties, blame, you, you can blame all sorts of people, right? But that, in my opinion, would be an unhealthy response to the tension that you're feeling, okay? Other people, that, a response could be, get more informed, right? I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling things are happening, I don't know how to control, I'm going to go dig, I'm going to try to understand this. Not a bad response. Um, other people plan more. You know, you feel a sense of risk happening, so you plan. You, you put your things in order to try to mitigate that risk, right? Also, not a, not, not, not a bad idea. So some of these ideas are good, and, you know, there's a few that aren't, like accusing people. I'll tell you that. That's not a good one. <laughs> but my point is the, we want to get in, in the body of Christ. We want to form this habit. We, wanna, we want this habitual response to tension our response, more than any of these, is 
prayer. That, that is, when we're in a healthy place, when there's tension, when there's conflict, when there's anxiety, you just do it. You just go into this place of prayer. And, and it's funny because you know, it, it's a habit, right? But it's something, this is the lifestyle that Jesus modeled to us. In times of testing and trouble, he was always in a place of prayer, leading up to it and certainly in the middle of it. So praying through the tension is what I want to talk about today. And it's essential for the believer at all times and certainly in this moment. So it's funny, like I'm being around Tammy White. So when I get a text sometimes, right, of something not good, like a bad news text, I will go into praying in tongues, not even thinking about it. It's just out of nowhere. I could be, yes, two days ago I was in a coffee shop and I just went into praying in tongues in the middle of the coffee shop. And all of a sudden I'm like, I think I'm freaking people out in here. But I'm not thinking about it. Like it's just something that I do, right? And so when we form these habits with the Lord, you just do it. Like you don't have to activate it. And so it, it begins working for you. And so in this community, get around people, get around the intercessors here, that that's how they operate, you know. I, I get on the Wednesday call, and I get, I get to pick up that DNA of continual prayer. And, and when you do that, you just respond differently to bad news. When bad news comes, you don't just say, well, I guess it is what it is. Like, no, you, like, actually actively come in alignment with what God's saying about that news. It's a very different way of approaching bad news. Um, so prayer is directly correlated with perseverance. And just read through in the Bible and think about it. Just, you, you'll find many, many places in the Bible, prayer and perseverance, very connected. If you want to persevere, if you pray, you will persevere. If you don't pray, I don't know if you will. Like, it, it is, there is a deep, deep correlation there. So in this season, when we are in this posture of prayer continually, and I'll get more in detail on that, it allows us to have a measure of peace and discernment even in the unknown. So the funny thing is discernment, sometimes you think you have perfect clarity, but I don't necessarily know right now if even the praying people have perfect clarity. But let me tell you, they have peace. They have the peace that passes understanding. So the clarity will come for those that pray, but the peace will be here now. You can expect that right now. That's not something to wait on. Now, perhaps the clarity may take a bit, but the peace will come. Um, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. You pray, the peace of God comes, and it guards your hearts and minds. You're not going to get swayed by the things that are happening. You're not going to get swayed by, by prophetic words or by secular prophets. Because how many of you know, you can also have prophetic words that are just flat, not right, and that doesn't want to sway you either. And you got a whole sec you got a lot of secular prophets out there saying a lot of things about how things are going. And either way, you don't want to be swayed from what the Lord is saying to you. It's a personal thing between you and the Lord. Now, if you look scripturally, right, the, the number, the people that prayed always had a level of discernment in times of trial and in, 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 sh in shifting moments. Um, I mean, one, one really popular um, one would be Daniel, right? Daniel, in times of trial, when he's in Babylon, he discerns through the reading of the word. There you go. He's bringing in the word. He knows the word. And he discerns it's time to pray because there's a shift happening. Because Jerusalem, it's been 70 years, and now it's time, it's time to go and rebuild, 
And we're in a rebuilt season. How many of you know that? This is a rebuilt season that we are in. And we have to discern that. He discerned it by the word and by the spirit. And he didn't just say, oh, great, a rebuilt season. Fantastic. He started praying into the rebuild, right? That's a different posture than one that we might be accustomed to. Another person from the scriptures is Anna. So Anna comes and she is she says she was a woman of prayer and fasting. She's in the temple. Baby Jesus rolls up, and she discerns right there on the spot. I mean, he's in diapers. Come on. She discerns that this is the child of God. How did she know? Well, all we know about her was she prayed. She fasted. She was in the temple seeking the Lord's face. She discerned the hour, even when the Pharisees, the scribes, all the most learned people who knew the scriptures didn't see it. She knew the scriptures, and she had the spirit of God, and she discerned what was happening in the moment. In a place of prayer, it takes us to, it gets our eyes higher. We're seeing, by, you know, get, seeing higher, and it gives us to see, allows us to see kingdom realities. It allows us to partner with what God's doing in the earth. And I, I for one, I feel there's times in the body of Christ when we miss God's larger narrative and the reason is not necessarily the demonic. It's not necessarily spiritual attack. It, it's actually a self-focus, that a, a me gospel that keeps us from seeing the kingdom realities, the kingdom narrative, the larger narrative. And I feel in this season, I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't even listen to any more me gospel type of stuff. Like me gospel worship, me gospel preaching. I can't, I can't receive it because it, it's, taking my, it's taking me out of what God wants for this moment. And a lot of us, think, things have died in this season, and they need to stay dead. Like, they, they are dreams, you know, that we, we thought were the centerpiece of our life, and God may resurrect those dreams, but they're no centerpiece. He'll push them out. And that's why you see a lot of people, this is a very, very trying time for them, but in the body of Christ, we just allow Jesus to get back in the center, Right? We don't freak out. We don't say, oh, like, we repent if something else is in the center, and we get it out, and we put Jesus in the center. And, and when Jesus is in the center, we, we see his narrative, and we align with it. And, and it's a different way of praying, right? When you're praying God's narrative versus praying your wish list, it is different. And let me tell you, you can pray a lot longer when you're praying with the Lord than when you're praying a wish list of things for your own life, Right? Like, and it doesn't mean we don't pray for ourselves and we don't believe for, you know, prosperity and all these things that God does want to give us a lot of those things and they will happen. But if they're the centerpiece, boy, we're, our prayer life is going to suffer and our discernment is going to suffer. See, I believe there's a tenacity and I've seen it in this house. There's a tenacity that takes over an intercessor. When you start praying, you start getting obsessed with, with Jesus and you get obsessed with what he wants to do. It obsesses you. And so it really is a place where nothing else is going to come. Like, you know, God may bring great opportunity, and you'll take it, but it's, it, it can't get to the center of your life. It can't impact your very heart because you're obsessed with Jesus, and you see his plans. And so this just adds on to the larger narrative of what God's doing. Not, it doesn't identify you. It doesn't, it's something that you won't grab hold to um, and take in tight because you already have your identity in him, and you're obsessed with his kingdom and what he's doing on the earth. And prayer brings us into that place, into that knowledge. So I, I want to I talk a little bit more about how we respond to bad news, right? And that could be like uh, your own sense. It could be something you hear or read. 
Um, like I said, it could be prophetic or it could be secular. But how do you respond to bad news? Uh, there's a few examples in scriptures, right? There's a lot, actually. Uh, there's a lot of bad news that happens in the scriptures, and you see how different characters, you know, deal with it, right? So Abraham, right, he gets the news about Sodom and Gomorrah. And that news comes because Abraham was a friend of God, right? Because God said, I'm going to have to show this to him. And he reveals it, and what does he do? He doesn't sit back and say, okay, like, that's what you're going to do. You're God, so yeah, go ahead, do it. He starts, he starts bartering with the Lord, saying, well, what if there's, if there's 40 righteous, if there's 30 righteous? And he, he starts praying for, that, for those cities, right? That's his response to bad news. Look at Paul. Paul in the book of Romans, he gets the prophets come to him and say, hey, Paul, you're going to go to Rome, and they're going to arrest you. And they're, and they're showing him visually, you're going to be in chains. What does he do with that, with that bad news? He says, great, now I can discern where I'm supposed to go because I know I'm supposed to be in chain for Jesus and I, I know Rome is where I'm going. So he doesn't take that news and pray against it. He doesn't take that news and run away. He goes into it. He actually goes into that prophetic bad news, right? King Ahab in 1 Kings 22, all he wants is prophetic good news, right? His prophets come and, and they're saying, oh, you're going to defeat this and this is going to happen. And then you have um, Micaiah. Micaiah comes and he's like, you know, actually, they're a bunch of lying prophets. The Lord put this spirit on them. It's kind of a bad deal. And you're, you're actually, you're, your kingdom's gonna, about to switch, right? And Ahab doesn't want to hear it because he only wants good news. So my, my point in, in sharing these references is we have to seek the Lord when we get this news, right? When we discern or we hear something that makes us say there's trouble ahead, we have to seek the Lord. There's no default sort of like, oh, this, I must pray against this, or I must pray for this, or I must run. We have to seek the Lord. And so I really encourage you to, to seek him when you get these bad news moments, right? And, and not just go to some default prayer. Robotic prayer is totally done. Like, it, it's time that we have active living prayer with the Lord. We can't just robotically pray for things. We have to know what he's saying and it's a season where a lot of us don't feel like we know what the heck is going on. So it's a season where we're more prone to kind of push past those robotic prayers and like listen into his heart. We're a lot more prone to do it because we're a lot more not understanding of what the heck is happening in front of us. Am I right? <laughs> At least I feel that way. Uh, here's a quote by S.D. Gordon about prayer. He says, he says, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is pray. You can do more than prayer after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than prayer until you have prayed. Isn't that good? You can do more than prayer after you prayed, but you can't do more until you prayed. It's the starting point for every move of God. It's the starting point for any, for any birth of what God wants to birth. It all comes through prayer. So I want to read a few key verses about prayer, and just to give us a little more context of how active it is, um, and anyway, uh, there's more to it as well. So I'm going to read Ezekiel 22. Uh, this is verse 30 through 31. Ezekiel 22, verse 30 through 31. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. One of the ways we pray is we pray for God's wrath to be withheld. He actually, he's actually, 
in encouraging us to engage with the mercy of the Lord and to pray that his wrath will be withheld, that there'll be preservation, to be salt and light. That is one of the ways we're commissioned to pray. We pray God's wrath to be held back. Isaiah 62, 6-7. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, that they shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. We pray to remind God of what he said he's going to do. We pray in accordance with the scriptures, and we say, God, you said you're going to do this, and, I've, and I'm declaring it so on the earth. I'm declaring what you said so. I'm, just re- I'm repeating back to you what you've already said, and I'm declaring it so. That seems foolish to a lot of rationally minded people. This is what God asks us to do. Pray back to him what he said he was going to do. Isaiah 59, 15 through 16. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, that there was no justice. He saw there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. God commissions us to pray for justice, for his justice to come on the earth. And in this scenario, God had to just step in and do it himself. But he asked us to pray for it. He asked us to partner with him in justice coming to the earth through prayer. So if you look at each of these verses I've referenced, every single one of them is an invitation to partner with the Lord. Every single one. He doesn't just say, Go and, go and pray this thing, go and do this. He says, pray my word and I'll respond. He says, ask and it'll be given to you. Their prayer involves partnership. Every context of prayer is partnership. And now why, why is that? Like, why would God just not sovereignly come and just do stuff? Why does he want us to partner with him so badly that he literally withholds things on the earth until we ask? This tells you a bit about who God is. It's not because he's mean. He's good. It's because he's relational. It's because he wants your heart and all of it. And he wants you to know your life matters. You have a purpose on this earth. It's not just, well, let's let God sovereignly come and do what he's going to do. No, in his sovereignty, he said, I want you to pray with me, and we're going to bring the kingdom together. That's my sovereign plan. That is such a mind-blowing reality. That's his sovereign plan. Now, I'm totally guilty of this. We can so get in the place of safe prayer, or I don't even know if you call it safe prayer. I don't know what you call it, but we don't want to feel bad about, you know, praying for things and they don't happen, right? It's disappointing. It's it's frustrating. It, it can hurt our faith. So we just, we say, well, you know, we just, God, if this your will, you know, do this thing. And then, or we just don't pray it. And we just say, God, do your thing. And, and so when things don't happen, we just say, well, it was the will of God. You know, that's what it was. I mean, I, I've done it. All right. So if you're like, oh, that's me. Like, I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. Let's not do that. Like, not in this hour. 
And that's not just say, ah, oh, like God's going to do what he's going to do and chalk it up to his sovereignty when things happen. That's not, that's not, the urgency of prayer is very, very biblically based, right? There was nobody that just prayed, oh, whatever God, whatever you want to do. Like everybody had a specific prayer that they were praying, right? And they knew, oh, God wants to bring this in the earth and it's urgent. It's, it's necessary that I partner with this. How did they know that? The spirit of God in them was welling it up in them. I believe today there's some of you here, the spirit of God in you and some of you online that it's, it's welling up in you right now. You're starting to feel this welling up because the spirit is crying out and you are his partner in this whole thing. This is not a God going to move sovereignly moment. This is a God partner with me to transform the earth to, for his ways and his plans to be revealed and to be established for the rebuild to take place in New York City and throughout the earth. For the kingdom to come as God designed it for this moment. It is a partnership through and through. It is not God sovereignly does it, all right. And it's because he's relational. When we play the God sovereignty card, we actually, in a sense, we kind of like want to take the tension off, right? And, and the, the tension is good. Like the tension is, maybe how we got to the tension is not, but the tension that you feel, you don't want to try to displace it by just saying, well, God's sovereign, he's going to do what he's going to do. You want to lean into the tension, all right? We got to lean in the tension that's happening right now. And I'll, I'll give you some examples, right? So when the apostle James was killed, this is the book of Acts, right? This is Jesus' right-hand man. He's in, the, he's in the main three, James, John, Peter. He's killed. Peter's put in prison. The men, the men and women of God got together, and they prayed fervently for Peter. They said, Lord, get him out. Lord, release him. And they, and they prayed fervently. They didn't just say, well, you know, like maybe what happened to James was God's will and what happened to Peter too. Like they prayed. And what happens? They're shocked by their own answer to prayer. Peter shows up at their door. Oh, it must be an angel. Like they didn't even believe their own prayer. Clearly it didn't matter. God did move sovereignly, but he moved on the prayers of his people. Look at Abraham. Abraham, his prayer spared Lot and his daughter's life. Sodom and Gomorrah wiped out, but they were not. And it's because Abraham interceded and he prayed. And so Lot and his family were preserved. Moses prayed and all of the Israelites were preserved. God said, I'm going to wipe them out. This is, you know, it's gotten too bad. And Abraham said, no, what about your name? No, what about, we are your people. What is the rest of the earth going to say? And in that place, God spared all of Israel. Hezekiah prayed. And the prophet came and told him he was going to die, right? Like, he could have just been like, well, the prophet said it. I'm toast. Like, and instead, he got on his knees and he prayed. And he says his life was extended 15 years and his city was preserved. It was preserved. And, and literally the prophet, he's walking out, you know. And he, he gets like, I mean, this is a good prophet. I mean, gosh, he like un- discerned like in an instant that he had prayed. And he turns around and he gives him a different word. He says, because you have prayed. What was that, like 30 minutes? Like, I don't know how long that was, but it happened that quick, right? In the prayer. See, prayer without relationship is dead and dull, no fun. I've done it. It sucks. (laughs) It really does. It's just boring. (laughs) 
You just go and you pray. And sometimes prayer is boring even with relationship. Let's be honest, you know. It's just sometimes you're like, man, like I'm not getting anything right now. Um, but especially without relationship, it's boring and it's dead. But with relationship, in partnership, it's powerful. It's life-giving. And, and you're actually hearing what he's saying. And, and you're actually able to agree with what he's doing. And that's where the power comes. The power doesn't come just in what you're saying. The power comes, you're saying what he, what's on his heart. You feel his heart and you release it. That's where the power is, is seeing him and praying his heart. It's not just in, you know, really strong, you know, heartfelt yells, which sometimes prayer can be that. You know that? <laughs> um, so I want to share a quick story. Um, my daughter Fern the other day, she, uh, this is actually yesterday, she was, she was in this state of, she was troubled, Okay. And she was frustrated with, with Lilu, which is my younger daughter. And she comes in, and she's, she's you know, really crying, really upset. And it, Lilu did this. Lilu did that. You see, like, the, the accusation, you know. Like, and I can't, what did she say? I wrote it down. I can't control myself. You know, she's stressing me out. She's making me nervous. Um, I, can't, I can't take it anymore, you know. I mean, she talks like an adult. She really does. Um, and. <laughs> And she says, I don't ever want to play with her again. And I'm like, okay. Um, see, normally, if I were to operate in my own self, I definitely would try to fix this problem. You know, I'd come up with some sort of thing to give her. But Vanessa has taught me well. So I just sit there and listen. And so she's talking it out. And eventually, she just comes and she lays her head on my chest. Just lays her head on my chest and just sits there. <sighs> And then she starts talking out the scenario. And she starts saying, oh, like, I could have, I cried some too. You know, Lila was crying, but I did too. And I don't say a word, but she's on my chest. She's with me. And we're talking through the situation. And, 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 and truth, it, it, there, it comes a point where I can now speak truth. And I say, well, do you, do you, don't you love being with Lila? Don't you love? I do. I love being with her. I want to be with her. And so all of a sudden, the, the conversation shifts, but it starts with her coming in, her knowing I'm going to listen, and her putting her head on my chest. And that's how we are with the Lord. That's how prayer should start. It should start from that place, not, not having to come in and bulldoze with our list. We come, and we, and we bring our heart before the Lord, and we start to hear his, and and so anyway, it was a great parenting moment. They don't always happen that way. <laughs> but, you know, when they do, I'm going to preach about it because it makes me look good. <laughs> so Jesus, how does Jesus respond in times of tension? Well, you know the answer already. He responds always in prayer. Always. And his time of greatest tension, right, was leading up to the cross. So I, I want to read... Luke 22, this is verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. And his disciples followed him also. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So just to back up a little bit, this is right before he's about to be betrayed. This is right before he's about to go to the cross. Right, And he's going to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. 
and he's saying, pray. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm asking you to do. Pray that you would not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down, he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, this is the most intense prayer in human history. There's never been a prayer this intense. There never will be. And he modeled this to his disciples. He didn't, he'd been coming up there on the Mount of Olives on his own a lot. But he said, come up with me. And a stone's throw away, he knew they were watching because he was modeling something they would need. And he asked them to pray, and they couldn't. And we'll get to that. But he modeled something to them, and he's modeling it to me and you. Luke 21, 37, you know, he said it, he was accustomed to going up the Mount of Olives. It says, and in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went and he stayed out on the mountain called Olivet. And then early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This was the place Jesus would commune with the Lord, the Mount of Olives. It also happens to be the place in Zechariah 14 where they say the Messiah will come to rule and reign. Mount of Olives. Jesus knew his Bible. He knew his calling, and he went and prayed on the very place where he's going to return. He went to that place knowing its importance. In the long term, right, and in the short term, there he was praying daily and teaching from that place of prayer. He probably went up there with the disciples when he went to determine who the 12 disciples were. This was a continual habit for the Lord, and this is the lifestyle that we're called to live. Luke 22, starting in verse 45, I'm going to keep going. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping, and it says, from sorrow. Other translations say the word grief. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Isn't it interesting that sorrow and grief were the things that were keeping them from doing what Jesus had asked them to do? You know, sometimes you think they were just, they were lazy or, you know, you, you can name it. You know, they stayed up late that night, you know, being, doing whatever. Like, the problem was sorrow and grief. I feel there's many of us that are dealing with sorrow and grief right now, and I don't belittle it at all, but we just need to know what's keeping us from this place of prayer with the Lord, from this intimacy with God. Sorrow and grief. And if that's you, we need, we need to pray with you today for that. We need to pray into that, because that doesn't have to be a blocker. Jesus doesn't condemn the disciples for doing it. He says, I mean, he says, hey, get up, man. Like, this is a big deal. It's, it's happening right now. None of them, except Judas, were disqualified from their calling because they slept or because they deserted him. 
So if you're dealing with sorrow and grief and you feel like it's separating you, don't take the lie of accusation. Come and agree with the Lord. Come and, come and say, God, I want to engage with prayer with you again. I don't want to feel asleep. I don't want to feel a haze. I want to engage with you again. And, and, he'll, and he'll honor that. I really do feel there's a, there's a temptation for people to quit right now. And maybe you know people that they did quit. Maybe they quit. And I mean their faith. I mean, you know, certain things that God has told them, you know, they, they kind of just gave up. There's a temptation right now to do that. In prayer, you will know what he's saying, what he's doing. You can hear his voice. Prayer is a conversation with the Lord. You can hear his voice, and that's the very thing that's going to keep you from quitting. So I just want to encourage you. You can hear his voice, and when you pray, you will stand firm in this season. You won't be shaken. You won't. You know, he says to the, he says to the disciples in some other translations, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak in this very section. And that gets to what I was saying earlier. The spirit of God in you is willing. And when you pray, your, your flesh gets, gets minimalized, right? The, the, your flesh all of a sudden begins to lose its strength and its power and the fleshly desires become overwhelmed with the spirit desires. And it's our place when we go into prayer, it may take a bit, but when we, we're, our job is to partner, partner with his heart, partner with what he's saying. Don't let the grief and the sorrow like flood your mind. You can choose where your mind goes. You can renew your mind, but you, you do that by choosing what the spirit is saying. It's not enough just to know. You have to choose what the spirit's saying to you. Because you can discern in prayer, but it's a whole other thing to agree. It's an invitation prayer to partner, but God's not going to force it on you. So I, I really believe in this season, there are new ways for us to pray. And, and Jamal and Ogo were hitting on this some last week. That, you know, Jamal or Ogo had this storyline of her getting up early, and she's used to going into, you know, these like, you know, warfare prayers. And that's, that's all right, you know, like that's not a bad thing. But she was saying the Lord was speaking to her, right? And that's the key. The Lord was saying, nope, this is not what I want you to do today. <laughs> tweak it, tweak it. I want you to wait. I want you to wait on me. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to partner. And sometimes our list and our warfare is void of partnership. It's just, you know, stuff that we want or maybe it's stuff God spoke before. But what's he speaking now? There are things that we've, that their appetites are changing in people's prayer lives. And don't miss it, right? There's something to it. If you start feeling the urge to pray in a different way for things, don't think, don't belittle that, all right? Like, we don't want to go back to these, you know, things that God said before, but maybe he's not saying them now, all right? You got to hold these things in tension, right? Because there's things God has said that you can't let go of, you can't quit. And there's other things that are just God's doing that's new, and you can't bring these other things along. You got you to gotta drop them, all right? And only you and the Lord can know how that works <laughs> or what that looks like. So I believe God is raising up a mature body of Christ in this hour. This harvest that we've been talking about and praying about, it's going to take a mature bride, right? 
it's going to take everyone hearing his voice, everyone like praying and, and operating in the gifts of the Spirit, not just a few high-level people. That ain't, that's not going to cut it when, you've got a, when you have so many people coming to the kingdom. It is a maturing season that we are in. So I want to give you kind of three practical ways um, to, to grow your prayer life in this season. Three practical ways. And, and write these down, like, you know, do something. Like, text it to yourself. Like, th- these three things are really going to help in this season, right? Because we can talk about prayer all day long and say, make it a habit. But what are we actually going to do to shift the way things are, are operating, right? Um, so my first one is bring your heart to the Lord in prayer, not just your list. Bring your heart. So I, I, I want you all to start there. When you come to the Lord in prayer, and everybody, like, today, just set aside time, go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to bring your heart. I want you to do that. Do, the, do what Fern did. Come, and if you're mad, I mean, read the Psalms. Gosh, like, David, he's, he is praying his heart. He was a man after God's own heart, and he prayed things that he was dealing with because he knew God loved him, and he could trust. He could complain to God, and God was there, you know? So he's there. So come to the Lord with your heart, not your list, and let him begin to rework the things in you. And I really believe some of you, you're going to come to the Lord with your heart, and you're going to find accusation that you need to give to him. And that accusation you, it could be from somebody. It could be from you towards somebody, right? And it could be from you towards yourself. All those accusations, just like my daughter Fern, will mess with your prayer life. It will mess with your discernment. And so he's going to come and clean house on there first off. He's going to do that right from the (laughs) get-go. And then you begin to pray his heart. Then you begin to, and maybe you're, you know, I'm not saying the list is bad. I'm saying the list needs to be a partnership with with you and the Lord. And he'll bring in new things on your list. Um, Number one, bring your heart to the Lord in prayer, not your list, not just your list. Number two, Find your Mount of Olives. Find that place. It could be in your home. It could be, could be like jogging to somewhere. It, it could be, you know, for some of you that are back to work. It could, be a, it could be your lunch break, someplace you go. Find your Mount of Olives that you go daily. And let that be your commuting time with him. A specific place. Let that be. And you know what? You could even find a place that somehow correlates with something you're believing for in this season that God spoke to you, right? That's what Jesus did. He went to the Mount of Olives. My kingdom is coming on the earth. This is where it's going to happen. I'm going to go pray in that place. So you can, get, you can get creative, but find your Mount of Olives, all right? Bring your heart to the Lord, not just your list. Commit to go to your Mount of Olives daily. Find your prayer itch. What am I talking about? What is it? Prayer itch. I just made up this term. Okay. So there are things in this season that God is going to provoke you with, and I mean that in a really good way. You're gonna ha- it's an itch that you're going to have to scratch. And as you're in this time of prayer, it's going to keep coming up. It's going to bug you. And you're like, gosh, like, I don't know why, but I'm so, like, I want this on the earth. Like, I want to see this on the earth. And check it with the word, right? It needs to be righteousness and justice and all those good things, right? But there's going to be an itch that the Lord wants you to engage with on a deeper level. 
And so I'll give you, I'll give you a few examples. I'll give you a, per, or a specific one. There was a man that was in my life years ago, and I kept having the itch to pray for this man. Like, it just wouldn't go away. I haven't seen him in years. So I said, all right. I just started praying for this man. One day, maybe f- two months into this prayer, he shows up on the streets of New York City. Hops, he doesn't live in New York. Hops out of a taxi cab right in front of me. I'm like, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready for this moment. I'm ready to love on this man. I already know God's heart for him because I've been praying for him, and here he is right in front of me. I don't know if that was going to happen already or if my prayers, the Lord moved on it and brought him to me, right? I don't know. But don't scratch that itch when he, when he push, puts that on you. All right. Another one, this is for me personally. In this season, the mountain of education has been so strong on me. I've never had a whole lot of thing with education. In prayer, I can't stop thinking about the need for reform in education. It bugs me all the time. And I get in conversations all the time with people. And I feel like the Lord is starting to show me things. But it's time for me and for you to get specific about that thing that we're praying for. To say, okay, like, what is it about this thing? And I'm going to ask God for specifics. I'm going to go to schools. I'm going to find people here, and I'm going to start praying for, their, for these schools. I'm going to start blessing people in this mountain. And, and so, so that to me, that's, that's my itch right now. And you, you probably have one that's coming to mind right now. And I'm telling you, when you pray into it, when you spend time asking God about it, you're going to be a part of the reform that he wants to do. Because it's a rebuild and reform moment right now. And those that pray, they're going to know how to rebuild. They're going to know how to reform. And you may find yourself right in the middle of it. You may find yourself actually physically doing things that bring the rebuild or reform. But even if you don't, your prayers matter. And your time in prayer is just as critical. Even if you were to go start a business or, or you know, create something actually in that mountain that brings reform, your time in prayer matters. It matters just as much as if you create it. And I think you'll do both. But it matters just as much. It, the lie right now is that it's not that prayer is a waste of time. That is such a crazy lie. This is the greatest thing that we have to shift things right now. If you're feeling helpless, start to pray. That is the number one thing you can do to shift things in the atmosphere. And it's not, it's not a waste of time. That's, that's crazy. Um, that's crazy on every level. Okay. So everybody stand up here. And if, uh, if, you're, on the, if you're on Zoom, actually, I want you to stand up on Zoom too. So I just, I want to pray for us to close here. Holy Spirit, come right now. Come right now. Come right now. Well up in every person listening to this. Well up in us. Well up in us. Well up in us. I thank you, Holy Spirit. There's purpose in each and every one of you. There's a calling. There's a calling to unite with his kingdom. There's a calling to bring forth his kingdom right now in the earth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would well up that truth right now in each and every person. God, we want a lifestyle of prayer just like Jesus had. We, I pray for a grace to enter in to this lifestyle, this habitual pattern of prayer, that in every tension we would turn in prayer. God, I ask for peace and discernment in this hour 
for each and every person here, each and every person on this Zoom call. Peace, peace to cover us, discernment to know what's coming, to know what's coming. Peace to, even when you don't know what's coming. We thank you, Lord. Father, I pray you would strengthen us right now in prayer. Strengthen us by your spirit. We thank you, Father, for the partnership that we have with you. We are going to co-labor. We're going to co-labor with you in this hour. God, we bring our hearts before you and we yield to you. We yield to you, God. I pray, Father, that we would yield to you even in the news we're hearing. We would know how to pray. We would know what you want. We would know what's on your heart. God, show us that Mount of Olives location where we can commune with you. I pray right now that he would show you, here's the spot I want to commune with you. Here's the place where you can lay your head on my chest, where you can speak the things I call you to speak. God, we pray for rebuilding, for reformation in our city. We pray, God, that you would establish our city in righteousness, that justice would rule and reign over New York City. I thank you, Father, for each and every person that you've placed here as salt and light, that they would preserve, that they would be bright in times that feel dark. Lord, let them be bright. Let them be bright. God, let, let this... Let this attitude, this culture of, of prayer just permeate us where we come, where we just become so joyful and bright that others come and, and they just come before us and say, what do you have? Where, where is your joy? Where is your peace? God, I pray even today that people would come before us and say, where is your joy? Where is your peace? And we would say, He's a man named Jesus. And he lives in me by the Spirit. And you want him right now, and you can have him. So God, I thank you that this reality is changing hearts and minds in our city. That many, many, many are coming to you in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.